Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. I'm not as exciting as all that, so sorry. Man, can we just give God a round of applause just for the work that he's, uh, he's doing here? You know, I, Pastor Keith and I, were, we were watching the baptism video and just, you know, we just love to see so many of those stories that we know. Some of those stories we, we don't even know that other people, other leaders in our church are having those stories and it's really great. And one of the things that Pastor Keith and I were talking about is how much you actually don't see a pastor in that video. Which is good, because our pastors are kind of goofy looking. Amen? Okay, a little too loud. Okay, a little too loud. But what I love, it, I just love seeing followers of Jesus Christ baptize people to become, other follow, to become followers of Jesus Christ. Disciples making disciples, right? It's not about professionals making disciples. It's about every disciple making disciples. I mean, I just, I love that idea. And we've been talking, as we walk through kind of the book of Acts, as we've been walking through the writings of Luke, and especially in Acts, when we see the first century church just start to explode and expand, that it's not just the professionals who are doing the work. It's everybody. Every follower of Jesus is on mission for Jesus. And that video is just a perfect testimony of that is happening here at our church. If you lead somebody to Jesus Christ, you get to baptize them. You get to baptize. And it's cool because in our baptistry, you don't even have to get wet. You stand on the outside of the tub. So if you're worried about water, if you can't even swim, you can still make a disciple. That's a tagline. Even if you can't swim, you can still make a disciple. <laughs> right? So as we're working through the Holy Spirit, the writings of Luke, what we've seen is we've seen the church really be guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness to the world about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And what we've seen, especially the last couple weeks, is how people follow the Holy Spirit. We've seen that the first century church feel like, right, and act like they had a green light. Like they were good to go. Go where? Everywhere. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. To, to go beyond the common. To go beyond the comfortable. Right? To even cross that line of people like, uh, people on the, across this line, they kind of disgust me. No, the mission of God went beyond that line, right? It stretched us beyond the familiar, stretched us beyond the comfortable. And the first century church saw a big green light. Go, go to the nations, go to every people, to all creation. Tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we also saw that the church 
was sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. They not only felt the responsibility to go out, but they were sensitive. Because sometimes what God would do is he would say, yes, you have a green light, just go. But at times as they were going, he would say, you know what, turn left. We call that the green arrows. Like the green turn arrow when you get to the intersection says, okay, you can turn left. And sometimes what God will do is he'll say, okay, you're going this way. You're on mission with me. You're not waiting for a green arrow. You feel the responsibility to go. But now I want you to, you know what, turn this way. And and, and you know what, turn that way. And we saw this, this kind of balance between the followers of Jesus having a responsibility to go and also a sensitivity to be guided. And what I want to talk about today is, are there red lights? We know that there's a big green light. Every follower of Jesus Christ is commissioned and called to take the gospel to the nations, pushing the boundary kind of of that adventure all the way to the edge of the earth. And God will give us green arrows. when We're on mission for him. Okay, go this way. Let me send you this way. We're not waiting for those. We're already going. But will God ever say, stop, don't go there. Don't have that conversation. Don't go to that place. Now you're thinking, I'm not saying that out loud. Sounds like a trick question, pastor. I'm on to you. Right? Okay, it is a trick question. But here's the surprising answer. The answer is yes. Sometimes they're red lights. Sometimes when somebody is on mission for Jesus... To share the good news of his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, sometimes God will say, stop, don't go that way. I forbid you. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? Now we're going to unpack, we're going to look at a leader, probably one of the most dominant leaders in the first century church by the name of Paul. And he's going to get some red lights from God. Now here's what we have to be careful of, is what we don't want to do is call red lights that aren't red lights. So let me ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you're talking with somebody else about Jesus, when you're you know, living on mission for him and you're trying to have spiritual conversations with your friends and your family members, when do you feel like there's a red light? And I'll just confess. I'll confess when I feel like there's a red light. I feel like there's a red light in my conversation when things just get awkward. Right? It just gets weird. It gets kind of tense. My, my hands are sweating. Right? I'm talking about religion, and so they feel uncomfortable. That's when I feel like, oh, it's a red light. Like anytime there's like a slight bit of suffering, just like a small degree of unpleasantness, I'm like, oh, that must be a red light. God's not in the conversation. And I think you know that's not the right posture to have, right? That discomfort, that's not a red light. But if I'm honest with you, I like, the, I like the conversations that are like smooth and easy, right? Which is, that's a fair exp- expectation if you're having a conversation about religion. No, no, right? It's like, is that your expectation when you talk about politics? It's going to be easy and smooth. No way, right? Same thing when it comes to religion, When you talk about God, things are not easy. They're not smooth. There's definitely some rocks there. There's some tension points there. Imagine if the movement of God in the church saw red lights when there was tension. How far would the mission go? Imagine if the movement of God in the church saw red lights when there was discomfort. How far would the mission go? 
Right? Imagine if the movement of God in the church saw red lights when there was suffering. How far would the mission go? Not very far. Not very far. There are red lights. We're going to see them in the scriptures. But they're not suffering. In fact, that's the big idea for this morning. If you can write down one thing, I want you to write this down. Suffering is not a red light. Suffering is not a red light. We are called to persist when suffering happens. We are called to persevere. We're called to lean in. We're called to move past the awkwardness, the discomfort. Because the mission of God is that important. So let me show you in the life of Paul when he got a red light. And we're going to try to diagnose what are these red lights, when can we expect them. And I think the more important thing is when we should not claim we're experiencing a red light. Because like me, if maybe you're like me, I see red lights when I shouldn't. Because if I'm just being honest, anytime there's a sense of discomfort or tension or awkwardness, I tend to pull back. Which is not right. And it's not how the first century church acted when it came to being a steward of the mission of God. So let me show you Acts chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 6. Kind of an odd passage here. If you've read the Bible maybe several times, maybe you've read this portion of the scripture several times, there's probably going to be a, a spot in here that's very familiar to you. You're going to think, like, oh, this is great. But before we get to that part, we're going to get to a part that seems a little strange. We're going to see two red lights and one green light in our passage. Let's look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Stop. What? Like you ever read the scriptures and just go, hold on a second here. That doesn't sound right. The Holy Spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, fully God, stopped Paul from going to Asia and preaching the gospel. That's weird, right? No. Red light. Don't do it. Then it happens again. Look in verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bethania, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What is going on here? Now, it's hard to tell that phrase, Spirit of Jesus, what that means. Does that mean the Spirit that Jesus sent, like the Spirit of Jesus? Or does it mean His Spirit in the sense of like they saw a vision of Jesus, which we know Paul actually did several times in the book of Acts. So it's hard to tell. But what we have maybe here is two members of the Holy Spirit playing defense against the missionary Paul. Like you cover him over here, I'll cover him over here. You stop him from spreading the gospel in Asia, and I'm going to stop him over here. Does that seem weird to you? Like Paul somehow is not on the same agenda as two members of the Trinity right now. He's pushing and advancing the gospel to places, and the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are saying, Nope, red light. That's strange. All right, look what happens next. Red light, red light, and then he gets a... Green light. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troash, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia. Maybe this is the story you're more familiar with if you've read the scriptures for several years. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen this vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. Okay, do you see the kind of sequence of events that happen? It's red light, red light, green light. No, no, go. It's like God, you remember that game in elementary school, right? Somebody actually explained to me how to actually play this game because I said it wrong. But it's the red light, green light game. You, you stand over here. And I thought it was like you, you put your back towards the people. I, I can't remember. But then everybody stands up and lines up over here. And they're all ready right behind the line. And then they, they go. And, and you're over here. And you are kind of the conductor. And you say, green light. And when you say, green light, they go. And then when you say, red light, they stop. And if they keep moving, right, they're out of the game. So it's like what God is doing is God is praying red light, green light with his apostle. With Paul. He's saying, okay, green light, Macedonia. You want to go west? Cool, man, go west. Paul tries to go east twice, and God says, nope. Which should make you feel good. We're on the west coast. God doesn't like east coast people. Boston fans. I mean, we could list them off. There's plenty. No, I'm just kidding. But what do we do with that? Like, what is happening? What are these red lights? Why is God slowing down his messenger? And I'm just slowing him down. Why is he stopping him? Now look up in verse 6. It says, Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. There's two things we need to know about these kind of red light moments. The first is this. These red lights aren't so much no's as they are not yet's. It's not like what, what God is doing is like no one will ever go to Asia. Paul, you're not going to go. Nobody's going to go. They don't get the message. That's not what God is doing. God is not saying over this region, there's always a red light. And we know this because Paul would actually go into this region. As he would use the term Asia back then in the first century world, it would include a city by the name of Ephesus. Now, if you've been a reader of the Bible for a while, you know that term, Ephesus. There's a letter in the New Testament written by Paul to the people, the believers of Ephesus. It's called the book of Ephesians. We know that Paul would spend several years there in Ephesus doing ministry. So it's not like Paul would never go there. What God is saying, not yet. Don't go there now. Right now over that region is a red light. But soon it will be a green light to you, Paul. And you will go there. You will minister there. In fact, you will communicate to them the word of God in a letter. And it will be composed in the New Testament. So God is not saying, God is not saying never. He's just saying not yet. Now there's there's another thing we need to realize about these red light moments. These are coming from outside of Paul. Not inside of Paul. Now why is that important? Here's why that's important. Because if we make a false comparison, we'll draw a false conclusion. Here's what I mean by that. If we look at a situation in the New Testament as it's described and we say, oh, that situation is like my situation, then I can do this just like they did that. But if that comparison is wrong, then we're in trouble. If we're comparing apples to oranges, that whole system breaks down. And this is important for us to realize because if you're like me, I see a red light when I shouldn't see a red light. And yes, are there red lights to be seen? There are. Paul experienced them. But where do those red lights come from? From outside. A direct divine word is what stopped Paul. 
not discomfort. Not an inward feeling of like, oh, maybe in Asia I won't be as popular. So I'm not going to go there. That's not what's happening here. Or, you know what, it's, this may be unpleasant. There might be some bumps. There might be some pain. This might get a little awkward if I'm in these. No, that wasn't there either. Direct, divine words. Look how Luke makes this very clear. Again, go up to verse 6 and verse 7. Just so we know how clear Luke is trying to make this, this is not coming from Paul. Now, maybe there's some like inward confirmation about this, but this is a word outside of Paul. In verse 6, who forbids him? He said, the Holy Spirit forbade him. In verse 7, it says, when he came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bethany, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow him. Now, what Luke does not do is tell us the kind of, the vehicle of this message. He doesn't tell us the tool that was used, the medium that it was used. He doesn't tell us that. But he tells us where's the source. It's outside of him. It's the spirit of Jesus and it's the Holy Spirit. Now this is not the first time that Paul has experienced kind of supernatural intervention that interrupted his plans or changed his plans. We see in Acts chapter 13, it says a word from the Holy Spirit was given to the believers that were in the church of Antioch. And they were told to set aside Paul to go out and be a missionary. It was a word from the Holy Spirit. Not something from Paul, but from the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 18, Paul has a vision. A vision that he is given, and in that vision, the Lord gives him direct words and tells him, you're going to be safe. I'm going to protect you as you're preaching in the city of Corinth. In Acts chapter 22, Paul recounts a story. And in that story he's retelling, he's talking about a vision that he had, a vision of Jesus who told him, you need to flee the city of Jerusalem. Now notice those encounters. We should interpret the encounter in verse six, or chapter 16 in light of all those. There were times where God gave direct words to Paul. Don't do this. Don't go there. Or I will protect you. They're not coming from inside of him. They're coming from outside. Direct divine words. Now this is very important. Because what we don't want to do is see discomfort as a red light. Right? Like we're having a conversation and we're like, man, this is not going well. It must be the spirit of Jesus not allowing me to speak. No. Or hey, this conversation is not being pleasant. The Holy Spirit must be forbidding me from speaking to you. No. You're not getting a direct divine word in a vision or a voice from heaven speaking to you. That's not happening. Now, could you get those? Absolutely, those could happen. But that's the only thing that should stop you. Now, think about how radical that is. Like, I'll just be, like, like I've been a follower of Jesus for a while. I'll tell you right now, never had an Acts chapter 16 moment where God's like, hold on there, skipper. Slow down. I feel like God would call me skipper. I don't know why. I feel like it would. Okay. Wouldn't it be cool, though, to get that experience? Like, if you ever get that experience, please let me know. Like, you are just going so, just so hard. You're just going so fast. You are just running for Jesus. And God's like, slow down. I don't want you to go there. Red light. And you get a vision from the risen Jesus Christ himself telling you, stop. If you get that moment, man, tell me. Because you are a rock star. Like, you are going so fast. God is slowing you down. What? I love that experience. I would. I've never had it. Is it possible? It's possible. Is it probable? Mm -hmm. Probably not. 
We have to realize that, yes, Paul did experience red lights, but those red lights weren't discomfort. They weren't suffering. And that's what I normally translate or understand a red light is. Oh, this is hard. It's road's getting a little bumpy here. It's kind of painful. I'm sweating a little bit. They're not really approving of this. This must be a red light. No, it's not how Paul saw pain. It's not how Paul saw discomfort. It's not how he saw suffering. In fact, let me show you this. Just move over a couple chapters to Acts chapter 20. Paul's talking to a group of church leaders. And look at his perspective on suffering. Look at his perspective on if suffering is a red light in the mission of God. This is Acts chapter 20, verse 22. It says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit, so clearly God is involved again. This is the same Holy Spirit that told him, no, don't go this direction. He's now saying the Holy Spirit is constraining me to go to Jerusalem, and he's also testifying, I'm in verse 22, to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await us. Man, if this was our life model right here, this would be amazing. Look what Paul says. But now, I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wow, that's a tattoo right there. Yeah, I wish my bicep was big enough for that, but now I can get like verse, half a verse in really fine print. <laughs> what an awesome statement, right? Notice what the Holy Spirit is doing. So just go up to verse 22. He's, this Holy Spirit's doing two things. It says in verse, sorry, 23, except the Holy Spirit testifies. Oh, no, no, I'm in verse 22. The Holy Spirit is constraining me. I'm constrained by the Spirit. What does that phrase mean? Being constrained by the Spirit means he is bound. The idea is he's obligated, almost imprisoned to the agenda of the Holy Spirit. Like he is calling me in this direction. I gotta go. His grip is on me and he is pulling me in this direction. That's the idea. He's constraining me. What else is the Holy Spirit doing? He's constraining me, binding me, if you will, He's also testifying to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. What is he doing? You're going to suffer. I am bringing you this way and you're going to suffer. So apparently the Holy Spirit is not signaling to Paul a red light when suffering is happening. Right? The Holy Spirit is not like our GPS navigation on our phones. Right? That helps you get around traffic. It's not like the Holy Spirit knows, ooh, if we go this way, there might be some hard times. Let me reroute you. Recalculating, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He tells you, guess what? Traffic's coming. Buckle up. I'm not going to divert you. I'm not going to reroute you. We're driving straight through that thing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's going to be a bumpy road. Here we go. And Paul says, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I, I think, now I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm elevating here a little bit. Okay, I'm kind of getting a, um, a meta view of things, okay? So I could totally be wrong. I'm not a church expert. I'm not a church growth expert. I'm, I'm not any of those things. So this is just my humble perception of things. I think our strategies in the American church have really 
not had in mind this kind of principle, that suffering is not a red light. Here's what I mean by that. And, and Pastor Keith could tell you the scale. I forget the scale, but it's pretty well known in, in church growth literature. There's, there's an idea of like this kind of scale of um, openness or receptivity to the gospel. And so the idea is if you're on the zero part, that's the moment of kind of conversion. That's when you start following Jesus and you get baptized. And then as the numbers grow positively, it's like your, your love and your affection for Jesus. As you grow as a Christian, you fall more in love with Jesus. And if you're just now starting this Christian journey, you're like, how could I fall more in love with Jesus? I love him so much. Trust me, you will. As he guides you through life, it's just going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. So there's a scale that goes out kind of positively in that direction. There's also a scale that goes out negatively. And the idea is if you're like a negative one, that's like that moment where you're curious about Jesus. Maybe you're coming to church, you're reading the Bible, you're praying with a friend, you're having spiritual conversations, you're asking questions, big questions about life. That's kind of what that maybe negative one, negative two is. And the further you get down the road, say you get to that negative five, that's where you're like, you know, I, I'm not interested. And that negative seven, eight, nine, and ten, that's where you're like, you, you start to become antagonistic. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't like religion. Now here's what I think we've done is a lot of our old strategy is really about capitalizing on the negative ones, negative two, negative three. Why? Because we're capitalists, right? Which isn't a bad thing. I'm not against capitalism as long as it's kind. Right? But what we see is like, man, this is the most fertile ground. This is the easiest investment. We're going to get our greatest return on investment. You ever heard that phrase before? And that's kind of how we operate spiritually. Well, like, I, they don't have to go so much of a distance, so let's just keep investing in this. And so a lot of our models have been what's called more attractional. Now, is that bad? It's not bad. You want your church to be attractional. What would be the opposite? Unattractional little church? <laughs> Come to my church. We're not very attractive. Come to my ugly church. That's a hard invitation to sell, Right? But we've capitalized on kind of like the people who are near Jesus or familiar with church. Let's just keep investing in those. But what's happened in our culture? Our culture has moved way more over here. And so those people that were beyond our reach because they were like a negative four, a negative five, guess what they're now? A negative seven. And as this group right here is shrinking, that group is moving further away. And we're stuck right here doing what? Not having a reach. And that hurts us. Why? Because if we go down that road, there's suffering down that road. There's pain down that road. There's discomfort down that road. That's not the easy road. But there are way too many spiritual orphans out there in the dark of our reach. And we should not be okay with that. And Paul was not okay with that. And just because it stretches us beyond our normal sense of reach, that's not a red light. That's not a red light. Now, I don't know where you were before you started following Jesus. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you haven't crossed that line of following Jesus. I'm super excited that you're here. Maybe you have crossed that line. Let me ask you, where were you? I'll tell you where I was. I was probably like a negative seven. I hated God and I hated the church. So maybe that's a little more. But somebody over here was intimidated by the distance. Wasn't intimidated by the awkwardness of those conversations that they had. They persisted in it. And praise God that they did. How many are way out there? So many. But if we kind of at ground zero, I guess you will, 
had a mission that said, I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how bumpy it gets. That's not a red light. Just because it's dark, that's not a red light. I got light. I'll walk into the darkness with it. I'll be fine. Because suffering is not a red light. And that's exactly what Paul did. Right? Look at how this plays itself out. Next chapter over in Acts chapter 21, the Holy Spirit again intervenes in Paul's missionary adventure. And look at this response, because he's going to give a direct word to Paul through a prophet. Again, I think that's how we should understand the words in Acts chapter 16, when he's forbidden to go or he's not allowed to go. I think that's a word from God through a prophet, because that's God's standard kind of operating procedure, was to speak his revelation through prophets or through visions. And that's what he's done in the life of Paul. And that's what I think is happening in Acts chapter 16. Either way... It's a direct word outside of Paul, not a feeling of like, hey, I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to go there. No, a direct word from Jesus, a direct word from the Holy Spirit is the only thing that stopped him, not discomfort. It took divine direction to stop him, not discomfort. And he said that to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20. Now look what he does in Acts 21, because God is going to speak again through a prophet and look at his response. And think about your response. I'll tell you my response. I'll be honest with you. But look, consider your response. This is Acts chapter 21. I'm going to read verse 10. While we were staying for many days. Now, we've got to stop here. This is important. You see that second word there, we? This is interesting. We start to see this term being used in the book of Acts. Now, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke did. Now, Luke is including himself in the storyline. This is why this is important. Is because Luke is a character in this story that's about to unfold for us. And he is going to have a response that I think we would have. If I'm honest, it's definitely the response I would have. And here's what I want you to hear. You're in good company if you get the wrong answer to the passage we're going to do. Because Luke is going to give the wrong answer. And that guy wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is very long, and the book of Acts. So if we're just counting words in the New Testament, he's probably number one. And look at his response when a message comes through that suffering may happen, or suffering will happen. Look at verse 10. And coming to us, or sorry, yeah, in verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands. Thus says the Holy Spirit. He's speaking again. Same guy that gave him the green arrows. The same guy who gave him the red light. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Danger. They're binding his hands. They're binding his feet. Right? They're not taking him to a party. Right? He's going to be the pinata. He's ner- that, Okay, thank you. I was a shot, you know, I thought it worked, whatever, you know. This is not good news. Now, so imagine, imagine you get this message, like God leaves you this voicemail. Hey, so they're going to bind your feet, they're going to bind your hands, then they're going to deliver you over into the Romans, who are kind of antagonistic toward this new Jesus movement. The end. What are you taking that as? I'll, t- I'll tell you what I'm taking that as. That's a red light. Guess where we're not going? Jerusalem. And clearly that's what God wants me to do. There's no way God wants me to run into that problem, into that mess, into that hornet's nest. I'm not doing it. And that's exactly how Luke takes it. He hears this message from Agabus the prophet delivered to Paul. And look at how he responds in verse 12. When we heard. So again, verse 12. 
When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Don't do it. Red light. There's suffering. Red light. So if you feel that discomfort or awkwardness or pain or suffering is a red light, you're in good company. You're wrong, but you're in good company. And I'm wrong, but I'm in good company. Because I know, look, I know the distance, right? It gets awkward. It gets hard. I, I, I get bummed out that uh, in America, like, religion is just like this taboo thing to talk about. Like, we can't talk about it. You know, in other cultures, that's not true. They're very much more open to talk about their religion and their beliefs and those things. In America, we're not. It's like, you just can't do that. It's not, not appropriate. Which is it's just a, it's a big bummer to me. Now look at Paul's reaction. Look at Paul's response. He doesn't see suffering as a red light. Right? Look at his response. These people are weeping and urging him, don't go, don't do it. Verse 13. <laughs> I love Paul. Then Paul answered, I love this phrase, what are you doing that never finishes with a compliment? Right? When my kid's here, I step into a room, what are you doing? I love you so much. Thank you for putting Play-Doh everywhere. No, that phrase, what are you doing? Usually is followed by words with volume, right? What are you doing? Here's Paul. Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what's up right there. Like that's, that's the church fight I want. Right? Wouldn't that be cool? Like if that was the conflict we had at Sunrise Church. Hey man, slow up, bro. Cool your horses. You're going so hard right now. Think about your safety. No, I'm going. Even if I die, I'm going. Okay. Instead of like, oh man, the music stinks. It's so loud. They changed the carpet. Why is Pastor Paul wearing sandals? <laughs> Not that anybody's complaining about that. I don't think. Right? But could like... Don't you just, like, I love, I mean, don't get me the wrong. The first century church has got a lot of drama. Read Corinthians. Oh, my. It's a mess. But, like, I just love, I wish that was the conflict. Like, you're just going too hard. <laughs> you're just going after too much, man. Can you slow down? No, I can't slow down. Okay, cool. Let's do it together. That's awesome. That is awesome. Now, I, here, I, I want us to be balanced, okay? I want us to be balanced because I don't want you to think that Paul, like, has this death wish. That he's just out there. Like, the goal is pain. The goal is suffering. No, no, no. The, it, suffering and discomfort aren't the goal. But they're also not an obstacle. It's not, it's not what he's hoping to achieve. He has something out there that he's aiming at. And if suffering gets in the way, it doesn't matter. He'll run over it. But he doesn't have this death wish, and it's not like he never thinks about his safety. Right? Let me show you this. As he's journeying to Jerusalem, he's not, as we are in Acts, he's not there yet, but he's traveling that direction. He gives a prayer request as he's writing the book of Romans to the Christians in Rome. And he tells them, hey, I've got this concern because I know I'm going to suffer. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be hard. Agabus came. He told me that I was going to be bound and everything like that. So I know things aren't going to be good. But Paul wasn't hoping to die. Right, look at how he expresses his prayer in Romans chapter 15, verse 30. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, 
that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I will come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. What is he saying? I know I'm going to suffer. I sure hope I don't die, because I would love to see you guys. I'd love to be able to get to Rome, to be near you, to hang out with you, and to encourage your faith. That's what I'm hoping for. So it's not that Paul was seeking out pain, that that Paul was seeking out suffering. No, he just wasn't letting it get in the way. He wasn't running to pain, but he wasn't running from pain. And this should be our strategy as well. This should be our posture as well. This should be our persistence as well. And what what I want you to hear is it's it's not unbiblical to think about your safety. Clearly, Paul's prayer was thinking about his safety. We know in Acts chapter 8 that in severe suffering, the church scattered. A suffering that was actually, kind of ironically, brought about by Paul when he was called Saul and he was against the church. When he was at negative 10, pushing against the church. So it's not that your safety is something you should never consider. In fact, I just talked or, or heard of a missionary who had to relocate this week because of their safety. But those are severe situations. Paul would, would, would free himself from this kind of angry mob by appealing to Caesar. So he would think about his safety. So it's not unbiblical to think about your safety. But here is what is unbiblical. It is unbiblical to see all suffering as a red light. To say, ooh, I don't like this. Ooh, this is cringy. <laughs> ooh, this is a moment that makes you feel uncomfortable. Must be red light. No. Our standard operating procedures should be persistence. And why? Because the reward is worth the risk. Somebody risked the distance to reach me. Somebody risked the distance to reach you. And Jesus Christ risked the distance to go into enemy territory, to go into hostile people. Yes, there were moments where Christ was popular. There were moments where the crowds were applauding him. There were moments where they were coming to him just in droves to see his miracles. But there were also moments where the crowd was saying, kill him. There were also moments where they were against him. There were also moments where they spat on him and beat him. And there was that moment we all know when they took his life. But did the, did the distance intimidate the Savior? No, so it shouldn't intimidate his church. We should push forward because he saw a green light. When he looked at the world, he saw a green light. When he looked at you, he saw a green light. So he went for it. And we should have that same kind of resolve. Again, I'm not saying we're, we're seeking out pain or we're seeking out suffering. No, what I'm saying is we don't see all suffering. We kind of expect it because not all suffering is a red light. Could we get a red light? Sure, maybe. But that better be the hand of God saying no, not feelings of discomfort. So church family, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you. Okay, maybe you saw on your seat there was a, a card. If you saw that card or you don't have a card, steal it from your neighbor. Okay, no, don't steal it from your neighbor. I mean, what you can, it's church, we'll forgive you, okay? Take that card and just put it in the air. Do you see it was on your seat? I see some up here. There we go. There we go. Okay, if you don't have one, people will be in the back and they will hand them out as you leave in the service. Now, here's what I want you to do. I only want you to take one, okay? Please don't take 10 of these. Don't take 15 of them. 
Okay, I don't want you to go around like Whole Foods and be like, making it rain. Don't do that, okay? I shop there. I would like to continue to shop there. Don't tell them you're from Sunrise. Start throwing flyers everywhere. I don't want you to do that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one, and I want you, only want you to take one for a reason. Because I want you to be thoughtful. And I want you to be intentional. And I want you to think about one person. One person that you can invite to church. On this card you see it just says our normal church services. It also has... Uh, on the back side, it says, the language of creation, praise him, night of worship. So we have a, a night of worship, and it's going to be multicultural, which is going to be really, really cool and really, really fun um, to do that. And so maybe that's an opportunity that you can invite somebody. Here's what I want you to do. Just one person, one person. Okay? Could it be awkward? Sure. Could it be uncomfortable? Sure. Could you get rejected? Sure. Is any of that a red light? Nope. Nope. No, just take one. Don't try to be an overachiever and take five. Take one. And make it thoughtful. And make it personal. Okay, and I'm praying for your conversation that you have this week. Do it this week. Don't wait two weeks from now. Do it this week. One person that you can invite. The reward is worth that risk. Because this is not just an invitation. This is an opportunity for life transformation. That's what it is. Now, maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe a friend brought you here to this service. Let me tell you right now, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for honoring your friend's invitation. Because your friend believes that you are worth an awkward conversation. They love you and they care about you and you said yes to that invitation. You know what that says about the health of your friendship? That says a great deal. Even if you never believe what your friend believes, that speaks volumes about your love for that person. That you be willing to engage in something that is super important to them. When we share the important things of our life with people that are important to us, that builds a relationship. So you just being here, even if you never come back again, if you never enter this room again, what you did is an honorable thing. And I want to applaud you for that. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And I want you to hear how much your friend loves you. Right? We should all be asking life's deepest questions. All of us. And when we, when we believe we have found answers, it is loving to share those answers with those we love. In fact, I would say it is unloving not to share them. And if you found something deeply important that reshapes your entire life, and you don't share that with me, what does that say about my relationship with you? It's not very deep. So you should feel loved, and your friend loves you, even if you never believe what they believe. And I hope that you find this to be a safe place where you can be curious about Christianity. Wherever you are, I was a negative seven, and I was going to church because I was at least curious, even though I was antagonistic. This is a place right here, safe place for your questions, for your antagonism, for all of it, man. Now, I think you'll be convinced, but let's see. Let's walk that journey together and see what God does. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in, in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, I thank you how patient you are with us, how persistent you are, how you come after us. Christ, as you came and took on flesh and came into hostile territory, it was a lot safer in heaven. But you came down, you experienced pain from your creation. As they crucified you, put you on that cross, insulted you. 
inflicted upon you an agony not known by many. But you were not afraid to cross that distance. Oh Christ, make us a church that is not afraid to cross that distance. That doesn't see suffering as a red light. That says we need to stop in our tracks and not move forward. Oh Holy Spirit, make us brave, courageous people who lean in, press into the awkwardness, persist in pain, and not run from suffering. Make us that kind of people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.